get in the light here. Well, this is our final evening of our Elephant in the Room series. And if you were able to deduct, or if you're good at math, or if you had one of our little rave flyer cards, divorce is the final topic of this series. So we are going to dive into that. Now this topic is a heavy topic for me. Um, It's a heavy topic for all of us because it affects all of us. And we're going to have an opportunity tonight to take a look at that together too. But, you know, as I look through this, this is not a heavy topic for me because of the fact that my parents had a divorce because my parents didn't. I am thankful and grateful. I praise God that my parents have been married for almost 40 years and are still dealing with each other. I mean, loving each other (laughs) in a good way. Um, And so this topic's not heavy for me because of that, like it is for some of you. This topic isn't heavy for me because of my personal marriage. This is not a topic that weighs on me because I've gone through a divorce personally or have major struggles in my marriage. I'm very blessed um, that Rochelle and I have an incredible marriage, not that we don't have to work at it, or that she has to deal with me sometimes. Um, but it's not heavy because of that for me. The reason why this topic is heavy for me is because as I was growing up, my dad was in the military, and so every three years I was moving. And so every three years I had a new best friend. I mean, when you're in the military or in a, your dad's in a career that you move around a lot, you learn to have a lot of best friends just because that's how the nature of life is. And it happened to be from probably the earliest I can remember was like third or fourth grade through the early years of high school. Every time I had a best friend, he was going through to his family's divorce the moment that I was his friend. And so I was walking alongside of that guy at that time every three years. And that just kind of weighed on me as a kid. Uh, and then into my teenage years, um, being the friend of a friend whose parents' life was falling apart, meaning his life was falling apart. The other reason this topic is heavy for me, can't tell, can you, is my beautiful wife. Her parents went through a divorce, and they went through a divorce at the time that we were dating. They had been going, there had been issues coming into that, but they had had a divorce. Rochelle's junior, senior year of high school and in our, into our first years of marriage were dealing with that. And so as I was dating Rochelle, she was going through her parents' divorce and me walking alongside of her um, in that situation too. And then we have also have other close family members that are related to us. Um, I guess close family members are related to us, Correct. Um, that have, have gone through divorce. Not, you guys didn't catch that until I said it. Um, are you paying attention to what I'm saying? I'm joking. Um, our, we have a close, some close family members that have gone through divorce too, and so walking through that with them, either via phone or by shoulder, whatever the case may be. And so this is one of those topics, when you mention the word divorce, it elicits a ton of emotions for all of us. Feelings hurts, pains, and fears. I know for me, even though my parents never got divorced, 
I had a fear coming into marriage, even the first couple of years of marriage, that I was going to get divorced because of all the relationships and friendships that I had that had seen that happen. And it just becoming a norm in our culture, our society, that I had some fears of that. But most every one of us has been affected by divorce at some point, some way. And tonight, as we get into this topic and start talking about it, and then we will have table talk time where we talk about this together too. I, I'm not going to be telling you what I think about divorce. That's not my, my agenda. That's not my point. But what I want to do is I want to go, I want to go through and tell you what scripture says about divorce and marriage, both marriage and divorce. Here's what I hope to do tonight. I want us to take a look at scripture and those of us who are not married yet or are are dating, not even dating yet, that you will see or have a reminder about what God says about marriage and what he says about divorce. Those of you who have dealt with divorce personally or have been affected by it, I want you to see that God loves you, he cares for you, and his heart desires to walk through those life situations with you. I want to start by looking at a passage from Matthew 19. So if you have your Bible or your iPad or phone, let's turn to Matthew 19. We're going to take a, take a look at numerous passages in Scripture tonight. We're not just going to take one section of Scripture and look at that and say, boom, there's a definite answer for divorce. As Christ followers, we have to take a look at the full complement of Scripture. It's so vital for us to, say, to see something, have an issue in life, have a topic we need to chew on and talk about, and actually dig in and dig through the whole complement of Scripture Hey, sweetheart, can you turn some more lights on? It's kind of dark. Thank you, babe. So what I want to do is I want to, to look at this and say, what does the Bible say? Because scripture does not contradict itself. It supports itself, and it's in total agreement. I mean, one of the things that has just come to me over the years in my walk with Christ is, you know, sometimes we'll read a verse or a section of scripture and go, whoa, what is that saying? Right? And if we look at just that verse or just that section of scripture, it's easy for us to take out numerous different things. But it's vital for us to take the context of what's right before that and what's right after that. Not only that, but what the whole chapter says. And then what the book says. And then what the whole entire complement of scripture says about it. Because scripture is in agreement. I remember for many years growing up thinking, wow, there's some hazy grace in scripture. I don't believe that anymore. I believe the Holy Spirit works, works through God's word. And it's very clear. It supports itself in his agreement. So Matthew 19, as we dig into this, Jesus finds himself in an interesting situation. This has happened often to him. He is in a conversation with the Pharisees. And they're challenging him. They're asking him questions. They're trying to trick him. We, we're very familiar with this. With the times we've gone through different sections of the New Testament and read together. I know when we did Mark, the book of Mark together, we saw quite often the Pharisees were always trying to trip up Jesus, trying to find an angle to get at him. But we're going to start in verse th- 3 here and, and read together here. So Matthew 19, starting in verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you heard? He replied, That is, is it Sorry, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. 
and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. I mean, do you notice what Jesus did right here? Do you see what happened as they asked him this question? The Pharisees are asking, is it lawful? Can we find a reason? Is it, is it lawful under law? Or is there any reason or anything that we can have uh, a divorce for? And Jesus cites this question. He, he's, what he, he's what he's thinking. He's, you're asking the wrong question is what Jesus is saying back to them. You're asking the wrong question because he realizes they're trying to test him, number one. And they all, he also understands they're trying to build their case, not only against him, but for themselves personally. So he's telling them, hey, look, you're asking the wrong question. I mean, let's look at the context here. There are two um, general Jewish schools of thought on divorce at this time, okay? And there's two Pharisees, leading Pharisees, that kind of lead two specific movements on what divorce is and what's allowed and what can happen. One of these guys, his name is uh, Hillel. And this is what the, the, this leading Pharisee says. He says, anything you find displeasing about her, and of course, it's her because we know at that time, women didn't have any say. It was men's decide, decisions. They ruled the roost. And so his thought was, anything you find displeasing about her, you can have a, a certificate of divorce. So if she burns your food, I don't like that. I, I'm done with you. We'll find a new one. Or if she says something that displeases you, or if she's doing something that irritates you, just on and on and on. His view was anything that she does, you can have a divorce. The second leading um, thought in the Jewish school of divorce is this guy named Shammai. And his was this, only on the grounds of adultery can you have divorce. So not only are, are the Pharisees, which happened quite often, and the different religious sects at the time, these two different groups of Pharisees were battling with what view was proper. But they all together were trying to trip Jesus because they were wanting to say, well, is he going to decide on my side? Or is he going to decide on my side? And so they were asking this question. These Pharisees are trying to get Jesus to choose sides. And Jesus, here's the thing I love about Jesus. He always goes back to the word of God. He always goes back to the word of God. Over and over again, we see him pulling out scripture to discuss, debate, to prove a point, to make it real. He doesn't say what he's thinking. We don't see that. We don't say, hey, this is how I'm thinking. This is what I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking. He doesn't say what he's feeling. He goes with what God says. And to me, that's a huge example of what we should be doing. And there's a lot of times in myself, I find myself wanting to say or debate, conversate what I'm thinking or what I feel versus me being challenged to go, do I know God's word enough to go back to that? Pull out God's word. And that's what Jesus does here. Let's look in verse 5. And he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. This, is, this goes right back to, the, to Genesis 2.24. Jesus is pulling this scripture out from the beginning. What God's original intent was for marriage. You know, God created everything. He creates Adam and says, Adam, I want you to enjoy this. Look at all that I've created. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to worship me through this. I created you to worship me. I, let's just enjoy this together. And then he gives him a wife in the, in the mix of all that. And in that, he sanctions the first marriage. So Adam, you're no longer by yourself. He, created, he didn't create just Adam to be one in himself. He created Adam to be one with his mate, with his partner, his wife. In the Hebrew terminology here, 
we see this in, in Genesis 2.24. This is a fusing together. This, her, him, God taking the rib from her side, them being by side by side, and them working together, them being, having a first marriage. God's illustration is this fusing together, to be fused together, to make one. Okay? And I don't know if you've ever been to a wedding that you've seen this happen, but have you, have you seen where uh, an illustration uh, for marriage or this, this fusing together, they take a, a glass vase and they have different colored sands? And they pour the sand in. You see it kind of swirl together, but it's still uniquely different. I mean, it's separate, but it's still together. I mean, it just shows the uniqueness that God is creating each one of us, a man and a woman. And you put that together. But if you try to take that apart, there's just, it's impossible to be able to put those back together, take that color and go, okay, we take it apart and we're going to put this all back together and put this color together. It's impossible to do that. It's impossible to separate it. That's the point. The illustration here is a binding union. That's the first thing we need to come to grasp with here is what Jesus is responding to the Pharisees about and the illustration he's given from the beginning of time when God sanctioned the very first marriage was this is a binding union, a covenant. And that word, that covenant, is something that's so blown out of context for us nowadays. That doesn't mean anything to us. You know, there's, there's this, this thing that says, till death do us part, or really, till you until I get tired of you or until you don't do what I want you to do anymore. The covenant idea is unfortunately out the window. This wasn't the answer the Pharisees were looking for, right? Let's look in verse seven here. Let me start with six. So they were two. They were no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Verse seven says this. Why then they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send, um, and send her away. I mean, this is, this is what, what's happening. Their first question was this. So what grounds is there for divorce, Jesus? Can we, can we trip you with that question? What grounds is there for divorce? Trying to, trying to get him. And Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. You're totally out of focus. You're asking the wrong question. You shouldn't even be thinking about divorce. You should be thinking about marriage. And this kind of goes back to the thought, too, again, of, you know, are you thinking of marriage making you happy or holy? You know, are you, are you, are you being, is this a selfish thing? Or are you doing it through God's eyes? Not that you don't want to enjoy marriage. Obviously, we want to enjoy marriage. God gave us that to enjoy. You want to enjoy the person we're with, have things in common, love spending time together. But is this thing that we're talking about, is this selfish or is this to make you more holy? So as he's, he's answering this question, we see in verse 7, they say, aha, Ah, got you. Moses, God's servant, remember Jesus, God's servant said you can have divorce. He gave a permission for a certificate of divorce. So they throw this out at Jesus. And they're referring to this a passage in Deut- Deuteronomy um, chapter 24. So if you would turn there with me or if you want to write it down. Deuteronomy 24. And this we have to remember. Genesis 1:27 and Genesis 2:24. This is for the glory of God. He, he sanctioned marriage. He's explaining why he created man and woman and how they're supposed to be together. So this is all for the glory of God. It's for you to come together as one flesh and never be separated. Remember that fusing together? That fusing together. Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4 says this. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeased to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. 
And if after she leaves his house and becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce as well, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband, who divorced her, is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. Does that make sense? You're hearing that. She's already been with another man, sexually been involved in this second marriage, and now is defiled, so he cannot remarry her again. That way would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Here's what Moses is dealing with. Kind of get some context here. He's not in favor of divorce. Okay, he's not um, condoning divorce. People were finding any excuse at all, all the time to divorce each other. I mean, this is very similar to the culture we live in today. I mean, they were a divorce ready culture. So Moses is already dealing with a culture that all the time they're just going through divorce after divorce. It just got rampant. And so he's having people, men come to him saying, I want to divorce her. I want to divorce her. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And, And Moses is trying to rein in what's going on here. He's dealing with one specific issue here. He's giving them an example of divorce and trying to lay down some, if you want to say, guidelines in the spiritual, what I would call spiritual wild west of divorce. I mean, it was just that crazy. I mean, we picture what the wild west looks like, right? And we go, here's a spiritual wild west of divorce that was happening. He's telling them this. We are broken people. This is what Moses is trying to explain to these people through this illustration. We are broken people. If you want a perfect marriage, take two sinful people, get married, then there's potential for sin in that marriage, right? There were men coming to Moses telling Moses, I want a divorce. I don't care. I want a divorce. I mean, they were already set on divorce. And so Moses is saying, some people are not going to listen to God's word. This is what he's dealing with. Moses is seeing in his own people, some people are not going to listen to God's word. Some people are not even going to be able to process what's said. They're not even going to be able to take it and you know, let it sink in and think about it and go, ah, I get it. They're going to, be, um, they're going to pursue divorce at all costs. It's an unfortunate reality after the fall. And here's the thing. Now, remember, we talked in Genesis 1 and chapter 2 about how God created marriage and what his intent was for marriage. And it was good, right? And then there was the fall. There's the fruit. I want it. I'm going to question God. And then there's the fall. And so all things that we deal with are, I don't want to say perverted, but they're, they've been changed from what God originally intended. Moses is telling these people here, this is what he's saying, don't enter into it lightly. If you're going to pursue divorce, there are things you need to consider. It was happening so rampantly, so quickly, and then you can just picture in our culture, if things are not working, I'm checking out. I'm tapping out. I'm done. I'll find somebody new. They're not, we're not even thinking of it uh, intently. He's saying there are things you need to consider. Moses is trying to warn them in this conversation here. Think twice. Think twice about this. So the Pharisees bring this up to Jesus. They say, ah, Moses, he said it was okay. And the Pharisees bring this up to Jesus. Now let's see how Jesus responds. Turn back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 19 Verses 8. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hardened. But it was not this way from the beginning. Do you hear that? So the same way Moses was responding, hey, sweetheart, can I have some of that too, please? 
I'm sorry, my throat is like dry. The same way Moses was responding to his people is the same way Jesus responded to the Pharisees. Your heart, your heart's already hard. They're hardened. Thank you, baby. So he's dealing with a people like me, Moses was dealing with people that were wordy, wordy, wordy tapped out. We're hard. We're not even open for any kind of insight from the Lord. I'm trying to find an excuse. Your hearts are already hard. Jesus is telling the Pharisees. And then he's saying, it's, it wasn't this way from the beginning. This is not the way that my father intended to be. This is, this is a direct correlation to the covenant God created, not only for marriage, but for us. I mean, we look in Ephesians 5, we look throughout scripture, and it talks about how Jesus, the bride, I mean, the groom and the church being the bride. And Jesus doesn't nullify or say, I'm done with you, with us, right? He doesn't say, I'm tired of you sinning. This is ridiculous. I'm going to, I know that I got on the cross and said, I'm dying for your sins. This is a covenant that I'm going to have. I'm dying for you because I love you so much. And just say, I'm taking that back now. And that's the idea. This covenant is the same type of covenant that he's using as an illustration between Christ and us as the church, as well as man and woman. And how that covenant is supposed to be binding. I mean, I think of Rochelle and I, and I think when we first got married, I mean, our intent was always, and it has always been, it's not an option. Divorce is not an option. I mean, even from the perspective of thinking, hey, I, I see all the things that, has hap- that have happened to my friends and their, their parents. Um, we walked through together um, the relationship her parents had and that divorce. And we saw all, that, all the yuck and how it affected her and her brother and her sister. We saw how it affected me and my life. And so we don't want to do that, not only for our kids, but for ourselves and for the glory of God. And, you know, at first we almost kind of saw it as a, a four-letter word. We were like, don't say the D word, you know, because we were like, Again, for me, it was almost a fear thing because I just was like paranoid. Like being in the dark was like divorce for me. I was like, oh, I don't want to be in the dark. Put the light on. That was my thought. I almost didn't want to deal with it because I was afraid of it. But over the years as we've been in marriage, we have just said, you know what? It's not even an option. There's good days and there's bad days. You know, and it's interesting. Rochelle and I went on a date last Friday, and I was stoked. I mean, because our summer's been crazy. We, it's, been, it's been busy, and, and we, we haven't had the time we really wanted. And for me, I was looking at that day of going, um, you know, I'm seeing the light in the tunnel. Because for us, when we get in the school year, we get our kids in school, and things kind of get normal, which is kind of scary for the school year for us. We get, we get more time together. We're able to com- communicate more, and we're able to spend quality time. And for Rochelle, one of her love languages is spending quality time with me. She needs to have quality time with me, and I feel that way too. We're a couple that, unlike some that have to have their time away, I've got I to gotta hang with the guys, I've got to hang with the girls. We do better more, the more time we're together. And so I'm excited. I know her, one of her other loving languages is communication. She needs good communication with me. And so I'm thinking, I know it's been kind of rough. It's been, you know, not, please don't misunderstand. I was just thinking, you know, it's busy, it's crazy. We're not getting the time we needed. And I was excited about this date, and we're going to have a great time. But we get out to eat. I'm sorry, it just sucked. It was really bad because she was really having a hard time and she was wanting to communicate with me about it. She's like, Brian, I'm hurting. We have not had quality time. We haven't had good communication and I'm hurting. I am not doing well. And on my side, I, I wasn't you know, oblivious to the fact, but I was seeing the light in the tunnel going, yeah, we're getting to the end. We get to hang out more and kind of get in the routine. And, you know, of course, for me, I'm, I'm a married guy. And I'm thinking, man, we're going on a date. Maybe we get sex tonight. This will be great. And then we're, as we're starting this, this date, I'm going, man, maybe we should just go home. This is terrible. You know, and so that here's after 16 years of awesome marriage and starting that date, just going, man, this is not good. And almost me not realizing how bad it had gotten for us. And as we communicate and we talk about things, 
the rest of the evening was excellent. We had a great time hanging out, talking. We, went, we just kind of walked around, did some different things. It was a lot of fun. But it's not easy. You have to work it every day. Every day that we wake up, she's not going to just wake up and look at me and go, oh, yeah, I forgot that you're the person I was married to. You know, it's just, she deals with that sometimes. We work through that together. He's telling them, we are broken people. We're broken people. But this covenant is something that God has instituted, right? And just like Jesus over the church, we need to be that way as, as a couple. Verse 9. Verse 9 says this, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. And it's interesting, as I was looking at this verse, the word unfaithfulness, the, the Hebrew of that is pornania, which is where we get the, the word for pornography. So how interesting is that? Unfaithfulness, pornania, pornography. Jesus throws off his disciples here. If we take a look at this, and we're going to read more into this, he throws his disciples totally off by saying this. He, they were not expecting Jesus to say this. He says, if you divorce any, for any reason, it's like you divorce for adultery. He's kind of putting divul- adultery out here as in, here's, here is one of the, the only uh, reasons for, for having, adul- I mean, for having a, 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 um, a certificate uh, of divorce. But he's also saying, if, you, if your wife burns your food and you want a divorce, or if you don't like how they treat you, or if you don't like his family, so you're done, ready to tap out because you're tired of dealing with his family, any of those reasons you choose to have a divorce, they also equal committing adultery. He's putting them all in the same boat. And his disciples are like, oh, my word. He just said everything you do is like committing adultery. It's incredible. And if you read on here, it says, verse 10, the disciples th- said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, is it, it is better not to marry and Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those whom it has, had, it has been given. So the disciples just straight up say, well, is it even worth getting married? This is crazy. What does God say about divorce? What does God say about divorce? Let's turn to Malachi chapter 2. Last book in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 10. Malachi 2, 10, it says this. Have we not all for all one father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our fathers by breaking with one another? Judah has broken faith. And then verse 12, it says, As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and you wail because no longer <clears throat> pays, he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why. It is because the Lord is acting as a witness between you and your wife of your youth, because you have broken faith by her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant, has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and in spirit, they are his, which I think that's really intriguing there. In flesh and in spirit, you are one. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. This is a metaphor for marriage. 
That's what he's saying, talking about here. This is a metaphor for marriage. He is simply saying marriage is not supposed to be broken. Divorce is slander. God is a God who does not break covenant. He will never leave us or forsake us. And he's saying, why do we break covenant with God? And why do we break covenant with each other? What are the grounds for divorce? What are the grounds for divorce? Now, we, we saw Moses. We, we talked about Moses. We talked about Jesus. But Paul addresses this issue as well. If you look in 1 Corinthians 7, I know we're turning all over the place tonight. 1 Corinthians 7. And here's what Paul's doing here. He's dealing with a young church. He's writing to a young church. And there are actually a lot of them are young people, probably a lot of the age of you guys here. And most of them, they didn't grow up in the church. They had a pagan background, but they heard the gospel of Jesus and they believed. So he's writing because he heard some of the church were suing each other. They were going to court. They were divorcing each other. And so in 1 Corinthians 7, we're going to read verses 10 and 11. Probably read a little bit more too, but starting with verse 10, it says this to the married. I give this command, not I, but the Lord. That's significant. We see that not I, but the Lord, a wife must not separate from her husband, but if, if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and a husband must not divorce his wife. I heard a story about a couple and this happens a lot. And I wish we heard more of these stories. We just we discussed divorce, and, we, and, and then we don't necessarily talk about separation as much, but there was a couple that got separated, that chose to separate themselves from each other, not get a divorce, and they both individually decided, I'm not going to get remarried, at least for a time. Their friends were saying, hey, start over, get, you know, go new, find somebody else, you know, that kind of thing. And they decided, no, I, I'm, individually they were both saying, I'm going to spend time with God, I'm going to see what he has for me, and go from there. And the cool thing about the story was four years later, God worked in the heart of one of these individuals and they came back. They, they got in contact with this other person and renewed their marriage all over again. If, if for nothing else, for those of you in this room who ha- having been married, who haven't been married, um, you are waiting or pursuing marriage or maybe you're engaged, ask yourself this, how much time, okay, if you're wanting to date or you're dating or you're, you want to be engaged or you are engaged, ask yourself, how much time are you spending on preparing for the wedding or preparations for the wedding versus how much time you're spending on marriage, preparation for marriage? That, this hit me huge because I remember thinking, we talked about dating. Sometimes we live in the moment of going, I really don't want to be alone. I want to be with somebody. And we don't allow God to use the time that we're in for him to work in our lives at that moment. Verses 12 and 13 says this, to the rest I say this, and now he says, I, not the Lord. So we already have a command from the Lord. And now Paul wants to give his two cents. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through a believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace 
How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? In their culture, very similar to ours, people who were married were not, um, some people were not Christians. I mean, they got married non-Christians. And then one of them got saved. If the unbeliever spouse stayed with you, it says, love them, be be like Jesus. He loves you. Pray for them. Take care of them. And that happens a lot. There's two people that that get married that are not Christians, and one of them does get saved. Verse 14, you know, you never know what God can do in a place of hurt of that other spouse. I mean, you see verse 14 says, for the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her husband. I mean, we talked about this in dating a little bit, the other side of this, where um, the the concept of, well, I I can have a godly influence on them. But you never know, like the, the couple that, separated for four years and said, hey, I'm, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to be single. I'm going to let God work in my life. What God can do to rework and re, um, rejoin that couple. Verses 15 and 16. From my study of God's word about marriage and divorce, God's intent for, for us is permanent covenant relationship. Permanent covenant relationship with each other in marriage. Moses, Paul, and Jesus said, divorce is really, is a reality, and some people are going to per, um, pursue it. You catch that? I mean, Moses and Jesus talked about this in Paul. That there's some, because their hearts are hard, and they're going to pursue it. And it's a reality. It doesn't make it acceptable, but it's a reality for a culture. Not an excuse. Jesus says, the very, the very narrow grounds of divorce is marital unfaithfulness. But even Jesus then encourages us not to do that, that we work through it. Paul says, when an unbelieving spouse leaves a, a, a believing spouse, there are no other reasons in Scripture to see divorce. As far as I can see, there's no other reasons for, in Scripture for us to have divorce. Now, this is not a popular teaching in culture, right? And by the evidence of divorce in the church, this is not a popular teaching in the church either. But this is what the Word of God says. In Romans 5, verse 3, 4, and 5, it says perseverance produces character, and character um, produces hope. Difficult times come in marriage. When you stick together, you persevere together, and you produce character in both of you. And that produces hope. And you see that in a way that you've never seen before because of Jesus. And you wouldn't otherwise have that if it wasn't for him. This is a sticky topic, and every situation is uniquely different because we could sit here and bring up topic and, dis- and issue after issue how each divorce situation is completely unique and completely different. And Paul talks about there are some cases for separation for a time. And Jesus doesn't want, you know, for instance, a wife who is being beaten, right, to stay in the house because she took a vow and says, I'm going to let him beat me until he kills me, right? Until it beats me to death. So obviously there are so many different situations that you have to take in consideration, take in prayer. There are ways to pursue healthy separation so that a spouse can get maybe alcoholic help if that's an issue in the marriage or physical abuse help if that's an issue in the marriage while we pray 
that God will heal, reconcile that marriage and restore the trust. Each situation, completely different. But God is for marriage. And remember, he created it. So as we get into our groups tonight, I have questions. I want us to talk about this, but I also, and I'm fine with you bringing up the different topics because there's so many different specific issues. But what I want us to do is be very sensitive and very careful how we respond to each other um, because all of us, like I said, have dealt with it one way or another. Um, The three questions, and I'll hand these out to your table groups, are these. And you can discuss other portions of this. If you want to bring up something that's on your heart, you guys discuss that too. That's excellent. But here's one of the three questions. What has been your view on what Scripture says about divorce? Prior tonight or now? What has been your view on what Scripture says about divorce? You don't have to write this down because I will give you this. What are things we can do to prepare for a godly marriage in a divorce-ready culture? Remember? Talking just like they, the, that Moses dealt with. We are in a divorce-ready culture. And what I kind of put in quotations there, try to stay away from the Sunday school answers. I mean, there's the, obviously the easy, like, you've got to pray more. You know. But I want us to talk about real things. Not, that's real, too. But not just give Sunday school answers, but you guys dig into that question. What are things we do to prepare for a godly marriage in a, in a divorce-ready culture? One of the family members that we had, I talked with her, and she told me, you know, from a Christian counselor or from Christian friends, was told, ah, just start dating again. Or try to let that go and move on. And she's like, what? What? You know, she's thinking, thank goodness her church, she had a quality church, quality leadership at her church that said, hey, you just need to spend time with God. You need to, you know, deal with that. Not just try to fix a problem by numbing yourself out with another relationship. What are areas with this topic that are difficult to chew on because the perspective or experience you've seen or dealt with? Catch that? What are areas of this topic that are difficult to chew on because of the perspective or experience you've seen or dealt with? And then here I did say be, be considerate of those people respond. People might say things. You go, what? No, that's not biblically accurate. Let's be considerate and loving to each other, okay? So I'll hand these out if you want to break into table groups. We have, I don't know, 20, 15 to 20 minutes that you guys can talk. Try to find some tables that you can get together, and I will hand these out. Okay? Thank you, folks.